0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The Trump administration was marked by many good impulses on foreign policy, met with terrible execution, and some bad impulses with mixed results. So what do we expect from the foreign policy of Joe Biden now that we know something about the people who will begin staffing that administration? Cato's John Glazer and Eric Gomez offer their thoughts. I want to start with you, John Glazer. Uh, What's the best thing for American foreign policy going forward because there will be a Biden administration? Well, the, the best thing I think the goal is
1: to really fundamentally change U.S. foreign policy and the conception that we have of the U.S. role in the world. You know, we are currently... Treaty bound to protect some 60 nations, and we have tacit agreements to come to defense of other non treaty partners and allies. We have a global military presence, and we consider virtually every international problem to be a vital U.S. interest. Um, And so, that kind of approach, I think, has gotten us into a lot of trouble. And we're at a moment right now, nationally, where uh, the constituency saying, Hey, we ought to make some fundamental changes and perhaps um, uh, draw down the endless global war on terror and, uh, um, start focusing on things at home as opposed to, uh, expending all this blood and treasure abroad on things that don't conform to our interests. Um, I'm glad that that those voices are a part of the debate so far, I think though, there's no indication that the, that the Biden administration is going to have that kind of approach or pursue those kind of objectives there may be some things on the margins that um Cato types are hoping that will happen in US foreign policy under Biden but there's a lot of other uh more worrying trends that uh, we should be prepared for
0: okay eric to you what uh, what do you see as a a, a big win or a big upside if any to uh, a Biden foreign policy the fundamental difference where i think restraint advocates
2: like john and myself can can get somewhat excited about is Biden has placed a big priority on trying to get US diplomatic clout and influence back. And that was something that the Trump administration really didn't care about. Uh, we saw that with him leaving a lot of agreements. We saw that with him uh, not really caring about the diplomatic parts of US foreign policy. And that's like a kind of necessary but not sufficient condition for restraint. Restraint doesn't say, don't engage with the world. It says do it, but not at the tip of a spear. And I think by reinvigorating U.S. diplomacy and thinking about how we can advance interests peacefully via agreement is something that's going to be a good sort of tactical move from the Biden administration. But it's not it's not enough. And I don't think that Biden's not going to be a restraint president. <laughs> um, that was never going to actually that was never going to happen. Um, So I think on that sort of sweeping thing, uh, John is right. Where you know Biden's not going to do that, but I think on some of those tactical issues, like being more willing to draw down in the Middle East or to to not get bogged down there in the future, and restoring the diplomatic toolkit in U.S. foreign policy, those are the types of things where people like John and I can be like, "Good choice," but then we'll have plenty
0: to criticize on in other areas too. All right. So, uh, John, in terms of uh, the broad outlook and the staffing decisions that the Biden team has uh, already made, uh, what is your best expectation about what's to come?
1: Well, Eric actually, actually mentioned it. My hope is that the issue of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East can become more of a bipartisan consensus issue. Um, And I think that's the lowest hanging fruit for a Biden administration that we want to push in a restraint direction. I think uh, even in the Obama administration, they sort of recognized that this region has turned out to be something of a sinkhole for U.S. interests and money and blood. And uh, to be more strategic, we need to shift to each East Asia and face China and move our, our assets, our resources, the way we allocate uh, our resources uh, in that direction. And so there's some implicit recognition that we have gone overboard in the Middle East and we f- need to find a way to extricate ourselves from that morass. Specifically, the Biden administration has indicated that it very well might halt US support to Saudi Arabia in the Yemen uh, war, It very well might use its uh, diplomatic leverage over uh, Saudi Arabia in order to uh, initiate some kind of negotiation to settle the conflict at least temporarily um, and allow for humanitarian aid. The other thing I'm hoping for is uh, Iran. This will be a big issue. You know, the Biden administration has is planning to re-enter the JCPOA. My concern is that they come out trying to be tough guy and make Iran move first and bring itself into compliance with the deal first before sanctions relief comes. I worry about placing too many onerous preconditions on Iran. We are the one that backed out of a deal and imposed sanctions in violation of our promises. We should bring ourselves back into conformity first and then hope that the Iranians uh, can as well. So these kinds of things I'm hoping. In general, we should be less militarily involved in the Middle East and on some specific issues like diplomacy with Iran and you know the Yemen war. I'm moderately hopeful that the Biden team will Sort of push in the right direction.
0: I know uh, Eric. In one of the greater fears, I suppose, of of, of a Biden nomination, uh, at least among our foreign policy team, was that Biden would try to outhawk Donald Trump on China. So, what what do you expect from a Biden administration on China, and what do you hope for
2: on the China issue? This is one of those areas where I think I'm a little less hopeful. There's definitely a bipartisan, one of the few things that Democrats and Republicans agree on in Washington is that a need to get more competitive or tougher with China, and the differences primarily come down to tactics and goals. So I think that's one area where both through the personnel decisions and with how he's been posturing himself, Biden is bought into the China competition rhetoric. Where I think the limitations on that could come in is, We have really big domestic problems we need to take care of, (laughs) Um, like the Capitol being attacked by a mob, and we still have COVID to worry about. And so my hope is that even if there is this competition-dominant narrative in Washington that, number one, Biden will be constrained in what he can do because of other structural limiting factors, and number two, that some aspects of cooperative diplomacy with China can come back. And I think that as the relationship gets worse broadly, the big ones are going to be on arms control and nuclear risk reduction, um, and just having some kind of system in place to avoid things spiraling out of control. One last point on this: the personnel thing is that a, a lot on Biden's receptiveness toward restraint is going to depend on how much the progressive camp of the Democratic Party how much sway they have with the administration because that's sort of the major current political force in the United States pushing for restraint friendly things not uniformly uh but for the most part and biden has hired some people into the national security system that come from that world um it's not a ton uh but it is a few and the ability of that constituency both within his administration and within congress to put pressure on the administration Will have a big impact on just how restraint friendly
0: certain policies will be when donald trump was running for president uh one of his key talking points well was two key talking points at least with respect to foreign policy one is uh that the uh, at least the iraq war was stupid and pointless and uh, a bad idea and i always thought so of course that's not true but um, and the other is that the United States is is laughed at around the globe that we are not respected uh, so uh, you know to the extent that there are political aims here it seems that following through on Donald Trump's hope that the United States would regain some uh, global position uh, that it may have lost in the last four years but also there are a lot of voters who responded to, uh, Donald Trump's pitch that endless war is bad and stupid. So how how does the Biden administration and and his friends in Congress how do they take advantage of of that idea that this was this was a, an important talking point for the previous president. So
1: there is that domestic political element that the Biden administration will have to deal with and it might push them in a more dovish direction in some cases. I'm kind of interested in the parallel point in the context of the international uh, domain. I think the global community such as it is uh, these past four years has gotten uh, their confidence in American quote-unquote leadership has been punctured slightly, right? So we have pretty bad relations with Europe after these four years. And I think, you know, for a long time, administrations have tried to pressure NATO countries to spend more on their defense. And it was only when we got a kind of belligerent loudmouth talking about how he didn't want to continue to, uh, you know, support Europe in this way, like Trump, uh, that Europe started to say, you know, maybe we can't count on the United States in perpetuity to to back us up. And I think all over the world, you kind of see that, um, that uh, dent in the confidence that America has not only the wisdom and the ability, but the legitimacy to carry out its kind of global Order programs. And so it's not just the domestic element that's going to sap the support for an adventurous foreign policy. The world is also going to start to respond and act in ways that maybe don't assume American primacy.
2: There's also an uncomfortable pathology in Washington where too often that U.S. leadership label gets ascribed to like willingness to engage in military force, too. And I think that that aspect of the us place in the world should take a hit and has taken a hit um but i hope that you know the biden administration has, or biden himself has talked a lot about restoring the us position that it once enjoyed and i think that would be a mistake to go whole hog and do everything um but certainly on the diplomatic front there are some things where given the us's economic political um and Cultural and social influence that you know we we ought to be doing, um, especially in, in arms control, which has suffered a lot under Trump. Um, and I think that that aspect of U.S. leadership or influence would be a welcome return. But some of the other militarized stuff, the um, willingness to use force and at the drop of a hat, I, I'm hoping that the administration can kind of avoid that aspect of the equation because it clearly just hasn't worked either. It didn't work under Trump. It didn't work under Obama, under Bush.
0: It's just bad foreign policy, and we should be stopped. Does uh, the Biden administration, will they try to re-engage to the extent necessary with uh, NATO? I remember uh, in the Donald Trump years that uh, he didn't necessarily want to uh, withdraw uh, from NATO, but he wanted NATO members to pay the United States for its uh, protection. Um, now, I, I know that Ted Galen Carpenter has written extensively for the Cato Institute about the folly of the United States continuing to back NATO. But is there is there any sense that the Biden administration would be any different from Obama, Bush, Clinton, etc.?
1: No. So actually, this is one of those issues in foreign policy that for for a long time, really since Trump's inauguration, I've been concerned because some of the things Trump said, as, we, as we've kind of mentioned and talked about in previous podcasts, did align with the restraint position, even if it was only in rhetoric. And that had the potential to kind of sour the reputation of these really good ideas because they're associated with a guy like Trump. And I think part of part of what I was worried about and part of what I think is might happen, especially with respect to Biden's policy towards Europe, is the Trump years were so dismissed and so criticized that now we have to make an extra push to do an anti-Trump thing and be extra pro-NATO. Now, Trump, as we just brief reminder, Trump was rhetorically very against NATO and then in policy, very pro-NATO, welcoming two new members, expanding our security commitment on the continent, increasing the number of troops, doing major... uh, military exercises with NATO and so on. But I'm worried that the Biden administration is going to try to reinforce America's leadership in NATO and simultaneously look for uh, a kind of European coalition to stand up against Russia. And again, that is a kind of doubling down on an anti-Trump position. Again, some of Trump's rhetoric was uh, obsequious towards Russian interest, and then the policies didn't actually manifest that way. But nevertheless, I think this does give a kind of push to the Biden team to return to the traditionalist American uh, uh, position post-war, which is, you know we are the security guarantor of Europe, and we will stay here as long as possible. And so that kind of thing I worry about, and uh, it's not just with Europe.
2: The alliance relationship side of the equation in Asia might be a bit more of a mixed bag, um, I think because Biden has said he wants to restore the status of the relationship with allies in Asia. But the thing is, allies in Asia I don't think are as hawkish towards China that that Biden or his team wants them to be. Um, So if he actually listens to the allies more, what we may find is instead of a security-focused approach to Asia, that other things that are a bit more cooperative and engagement-focused and not as bellicose against the Chinese could happen. Um, Just because I think Asian capitals are very wary of a US-China relationship that is nothing but zero-sum military competition that Trump was pushing. And on Korea, I think this also might apply where uh, Biden's desire to get on the same page with the South Koreans again it still commit the United States uh, to defend South Korea and all that, but Moon Jae-in's administration is also much more willing to try different approaches to engaging with North Korea that I think could have more of a success if the U.S. actually got behind them too. So it's a, so like in Asia, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag in that regard, where the, some of the negative aspects about you know the U.S. being somewhat overly committed, I would argue, in Asia. Could exist under the Biden administration and be strengthened. But maybe some of those more tactical level changes in terms of how the US approaches North Korea and how the US US approaches China could change for the better if the allies, if Biden is serious about like listening to what allies have to say on these issues, because I don't think they're as hawkish or militarily inclined as the United States is. Let me just add one final thing. The key message that I hope the Biden team
1: does uh, take is is that we need to limit our ambition. I think President-elect has been talking a lot about how America can do anything. I think he fits perfectly within that tradition of American exceptionalism, where there really is no limit to what we can accomplish or what we should be willing to try. And in foreign policy, I really think it's time for the United States to recognize the limits of its power And to forfeit certain adventures that we need not go on because they're uh, uh, dangerous and uh, contrary to our interests. So it's just about limiting our ambition and understanding that the power that we have in the world actually does have limits.
0: John Glazer directs foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. Eric Gomez directs defense policy studies at Cato. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.